video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when Hello, you want to watch my name is Justin McClure. I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where we go through all of Bay Street's new Blu-rays and DVDs. Week by week. Yeah, and this time, Mark is off for the week, taking vacation. No, of course not. Don't, don't ruin the illusion. I'm there all the time, Justin, all right? Cares about his uh, fans <laughs> and customers. So much. Specifically Mark fans, the ones that are like, Mark. Mark, Mark, Mark. Well, I know, I know. There's a big fan base out there. They're all wondering where I am this week. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm just sleeping in the back room. That's, that's yeah, really where I'm at. As yeah. we've established, uh, Mark lives at Bay Street Video because he's um, an orphan, and Bay Street legally adopted him. <laughs> But you know what? <laughs> Regardless of my uh, present store status, the Bay Street Video Podcast has to go on, right? It has to live on. It has to live on. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Do we? <laughs> I think this is a pretty big week. This was definitely the biggest week we've... Because oh, this was actually the week before I have, you know, taken time off. And this was a huge selling week for us, so... I mean, because there's some big titles. Like, right from the get-go, Gamera, the complete collection coming from Arrow. Well, oh, man. I know you're excited about this one. Uh, well, it feels like I've talked about it on like a hundred podcasts. At I know this point. you've done like your own video, video about for it. it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was doing some research, and supposedly this is a limited edition. And Arrow is like, we're almost sold oh, out. I know. I think it was limited to like three thousand copies, even though they didn't advertise it like and that. By the time this episode hits, we might actually be sold out of this box set. So we sold out like first day and a half or so, and then we definitely got more on a reorder. But I haven't been there for a few days, so I, I don't know. The status is up in the air. I don't know if we're going to get more. I mean, like, you look at this box set, and it's everything people would want from Gamera, the giant turtle, friends to children everywhere. It's packed with stuff. Brand new special features that Arrow made. They poured it over all the Japanese features, subtitled them. It's in a big box with a original booklet with information about the movies, interview with the directors, and also a hardcover comic book that reprints 90s Dark Horse comics and a fan comic that originally had only appeared in Japan. It's all there. I mean, I don't even need to sell it that hard. Like, if you like Gamera, you should get it. I mean, Mark has said, I should pick it up. It's too late, Mark. You can't get it anymore. I know. Sir. Yeah, I missed the Al Adamson set. You know, I was like, I'm not going to get that. And then it all, you know, they were flying out of here like hotcakes. And I kind of, you know, missed the opportunity on that one. And now I'm kind of feeling <laughs> like I missed out on the Gamera set here, even though I've never seen a Gamera film. And if you got it, you probably just put it on your shelf and that would be it. You would never <laughs> watch any of them. Yeah, exactly. It would just and then I would sell it for like thousands of dollars. If anyone yep. is interested in Gamera, you should pick up this box set like nothing better will ever come down the pike and i know your what your answer is going to be for this but compared to the godzilla box set from criterion last okay, year this is much better uh the criterion box set i mean a lot of podcasts like godzilla fan or godzilla thon podcasts went into it into more detail than i will now but that box set was incredibly compromised because toho would not let Criterion do any new scans or any new special features. And the thing is, Toho is bad at doing scans and doing special features. So, yep, it was a problem. And the reason is, they didn't want to lose out on money of fans buying their Blu-rays in Japan. That's the only reason they wouldn't let Criterion do this stuff. So, yeah, sounds like a... Uh a must-have collection right here. <laughs> and Arrow release Flash Gordon. Uh, how does it go? Savior of the universe. Da, da, da. Is that what it is? You know what? I've never, I've never seen this film, and I've honestly never even been that interested. Does that make me a horrible fan? I don't know. I've just never, I never read Flash Gordon. Was it like a comic book first? Well, yeah, yeah, like in the forties, like a long, long time ago. And then it was like a serial, right? Yes, it was a serial. I think it was maybe a newspaper strip, and then a serial, and then probably other forms of comics, and five. Finally, the big budget 80s um, queen scored uh, movie. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've never seen this film. This is, again, a definitive edition, though, of this for fans out there that has been selling like hotcakes. How have you never seen this? There's a new edition that comes out every five years. There is. Really. And maybe that's why. Maybe because I just feel like it's just too ever present. And I'm like, ah, I don't need to watch that. Uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But people love this movie. I mean, even with all the editions that came out, you you sold a lot of this Arrow one, right? Oh, man, yeah. And I knew we were going to. We were getting pre-orders like crazy. I mean, I think it's just the collector market and the Arrow 
like limited box sets you know they put it in that box with the book and everything and you know it's only going to be available for like a couple months so people just run like they need to have it and i like it is the definitive version of this film and it is has always been super popular throughout the years but it's the kind of movie like when they did american werewolf in london or something that people are just willing to continue to rebuy like all the time (laughs) and now they'll never release it again (laughs) exactly that's it it's done I mean, it should be done by now, right? Like, do we need... It's in 4K, too. They're burning every copy. Yeah, so Arrow's, you know, gotten into the 4K market with this, too, right? They have, yeah. Before Criterion, no less. And Arrow's also putting out Pitch Black, the Vin Diesel classic uh, on special edition Blu-ray. Yeah, I know you're a David Tuohy fan. I mean, who isn't? Who isn't? Uh, Yeah, who isn't? (laughs) Definitely I am. And they packed this with special features. They interviewed, like, everyone that was involved. They poured it over all the previous special features. They even included the Peter uh, Chung animated uh, tie-in film, Riddick Dark Fury. Oh, did they? (laughs) Yeah, which is actually a Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, merchandise but you know what i'll give him a pass i expect him to do the chronicles of riddick blu-ray someday right right arrow right Right? yeah they'll get on that (laughs) with the whole riddick box set right yeah (laughs) they're squeezing us for every dollar um they can yeah you know i wonder if they do chronicles of riddick because that's not a movie that's very well liked yeah people really hate i mean that's pretty much where it was considered like it just sold out immediately right like I think for Pitch Black, I mean, to be honest, Pitch Black never did a ton for me when I first saw it as a kid, but it is one I definitely want to go back and revisit. <laughs> You're like, no, thank you. I'm all about the Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got priorities. Right? Uh, we have another Hammer film, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Oh, God, yeah. Hammers, come come at it. How are they still <laughs> releasing movies? How are <laughs> no. they not done yet? I don't know. The the Hammer catalog is is deep. It's very, very deep. And, I mean, this is up your alley. Ruben and Ed is finally getting its (laughs) Blu-ray release from Sony. It is, yeah. So this is, for people who don't know, a classic Crispin Glover joint from the early 90s. So uh, a lot of people probably don't remember what this movie is, but you will ma- you'll probably remember when Crispin Glover went on the David Letterman show in, like, the late 80s and basically acted like a like a freak and sort of assaulted him and everything and it was a whole great you know look it up on youtube if you haven't seen it anyways the way he's dressed in that is as his character from this movie which i guess he they were testing out uh, at that time um so yeah ruben and ed is a cult comedy directed by uh, trent harris who's kind of like an experimental filmmaker sort of got known for something called the beaver trilogy which had crispin glover and sean penn in it in like the late 70s like a weird experimental documentary kind of thing uh and this was kind of his only bigger budget effort uh so it has crispin glover and howard hessman who uh is from wkrp in cincinnati and was basically like a pretty big counterculture comedian in the 60s and 70s and they just play howard hessman is just like a businessman like a failing businessman whose wife played by karen black because obviously is uh, about to leave him and then basically crispin glover just meets up with this guy they go on a road trip to bury his cat and that's kind of all the plot you're gonna yep. get here i've actually never seen it oh no okay okay no i was waiting for the blu-ray to come out even though it's bare bones and super expensive because it's a sony D- a blu-ray it is bare bones it's like one of those sony mod's and it's it's unfortunate because i feel like there's a lot of behind the scenes material i would love to hear more about the genesis of the, this movie since it was clearly in the works for like a few years uh crispin glover is i mean as crispin glover as you're gonna get in this movie he definitely he definitely has been like workshopping this character for years as you can see um and he's great um and the pairing between him and howard hessman is really interesting the whole thing just has a really surreal offbeat kind of vibe which definitely just fans of cult comedy are gonna like it's also got that like early 90s american india's obsession with like the desert you know i feel like there were a lot of movies that took place in the desert Who around can forget that time penelope uh spherus's dude exactly yeah it's like that kind of thing <laughs> so it's got that kind of like desert western kind of vibe which uh mm. i don't know yeah it's really it's a movie i'm not sure especially when it comes to the climax you're not really sure what to think about it but it definitely takes you along on a weird ride so yeah i would recommend it and it's never it I think it was on VHS like way back in the day, but it never made it to DVD or anything. So this is the first time it's been available in 
decades. And Kino is putting out uh, Frog Dreaming, a.k.a. The Quest, Brian Trenchard Smith's kids film starring uh, E.T.'s own Henry Thomas, a movie that I had never checked out, even though I like Brian Trenchard Smith's early work because I knew what the plot of the film was, which is that a <laughs> kid that? finds what he thinks is a monster in a lake, but spoiler alert! It's not a monster. It's just like a piece of construction equipment. So that's oh, a real okay. bummer. <laughs> that, that's yeah, it? That is it. <laughs> that There's no other like um, drama or stakes. It's just like figuring out what's in this lake. And it's not a monster. So, you know, Brian Trenton Smith, he's an Australian director. They're shooting in Australia. There's some really good like energy and, you know, uh, shots of fauna. But as a kid's film, this is one that I think a lot of people have nostalgia for because they grew up with it. And they, like, rented right, it, okay. but, like, you know, as an adult, it just feels like a big ripoff. Okay. Maybe that's why they're putting it on. I can think it's just part of, like, the Kino Studio Classics line. It's not even, like, some sort of, like, cult standout. It's because... a big special edition, though. Even though the case for the Blu-ray looks like the lowest res image. Oh, my God. I know. They really cr- don't like, try sometimes. I, someone must have made a mistake. Like, that's the only reason, like, the image looks the way that it does. It looks like they got, like, a 100 by 100 thing and blew it up for the Blu-ray case. <laughs> and we also have the Scorpion release of the action film Death Before Dishonor, which is a movie that nobody likes. <laughs> I was looking online yeah. and it's like, yeah, nobody yeah, likes this. I didn't this. know much about this one. <laughs> I mean, another standard Scorpion pick that's not on Ronin Flicks. Yeah, it's so. like 80s, it's forgotten, so they're going to put it out. Of course, of course. Why not? Why we not? also have Sinner's Blood, which is released by Cheesy Flicks. So I guess this is kind of a public domain gray market title because that's what Cheesy uh, works yeah, in. Yeah, I don't think this is going to look much better than your average like VHS transfer. But you know what? For a movie like it's called Sinner's Blood from 1969, I feel like that's the perfect way it's to It's another watch movie it. about bikers terrorizing a small town. Because <laughs> that was never done. We also have uh, two releases from Verboden Video. Uh, we have Slash Dance and Holy Moly, and Slash Dance is this week's Blind Buy. We're there, and yeah, Verboten Video. We're very excited to be carrying these because this is a pretty like exclusive label. Which I uh, just reached out to the guy who runs it. Basically, they're a small label in the U.S. that's only done three releases so far. One of which we've had before, Blu-ray of a weird '80s sci-fi movie called Split, which I know you're oh, a fan. Oh yeah, of, I love Split. Very good. Yeah, and but that was really their only release up until this point, and now they've put out two limited edition DVDs. Well, I'm not sure if they're limited editions, but they're special edition DVDs of some pretty obscure 80s, early 90s kind of like horror straight to SOV and horror stuff that is kind of the domain of a company like Intervision, mm-hmm. I would say. Flashdance like is not a shot on video film. It is not. No, I'm, I'm wrong about that. I mean more holy moly, I guess, for that one. But yeah, Slashdance is actually shot on... 16 millimeter, but it was completed on uh, video, which you can tell by the opening credits that look like they should be on Baywatch. <laughs> it's great, yeah. The whole film really has a uh, TV movie vibe, but not like the kind of TV movie that would be like a big event, but like the kind of TV movie you would stop like a slot like filler public access at like like two o'clock so in the morning the thing about uh slash dance is let's say it right off the bat amazing, amazing title, title. I, I this movie gets by on title and cover art image alone i think <laughs> and uh that there's a lot of wrestlers from people who have seen the netflix glow miniseries about the women wrestlers the real life counterparts star in this film yeah, exactly. And they look and exactly like the characters from the TV show. They do, Like, it's like cool. freakishly so. <laughs> well, I guess not so much the lead actress. She does. Uh, I recognize. She does a little bit, yeah. right? Because uh, her name was, I think, like Americana. She looks like the uh, one who does the British accent on the TV show. Right, okay. I, I can't say I've seen much of the TV show, but I hear it's fantastic. I fear it's fantastic. I know. Don't worry. It, it's television, Mark. We we know. You can't watch it. I know. I know. My partner is a huge, huge fan of it, though. But, and you're like, I don't want to watch it. And you, like, put a pillow over your head. <laughs> and other than that, if you love watching people rehearse dancing, Slash Dance is for you. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, this movie is pretty boring. But, you know, oh, yeah. in like in a charming way that only a movie about which clearly had like very little script and just had like a location, which is this like L.A. dilapidated kind of L.A. theater 
which kind of gives it this sort of like giallo-esque um yeah kind of like murder rock the lucio fulci Um, film and yeah and it also has like a bunch of suspects that you're not sure who it is and there's like a shadowy figure so i feel like oh you know who it is instantly (laughs) instantly. but you know they try and like confuse you a little bit but mostly this movie put past like a few kills at the beginning which are hilarious because they have to do with like a couple of dancers who just walk into this empty theater for an audition and just like continue to stay and like get on the stage even though and like audition even though there's nobody there except for some creepy dude standing i in like the back. to say that this is if uh jacques rivette made a um slasher film because his films are filled with rehearsal footage as well <laughs> yeah it's exactly like that and yeah like it's just endless amounts of these girls rehearsing and you don't like what show is this that's even going on they bring in this like prestigious director who you know is definitely shady vague spoiler alert but but... it is like the uh smallest community theater you've ever seen (laughs) i know right and i hope you want to take a walk through la because oh boy the film is padded with that as well oh i was just gonna say that i found that really fascinating probably more fascinating the, the story itself was just the like verite street footage of la in the late 80s <laughs> honestly i thought they could have just made like a whole documentary just about like la street life uh, but it clearly is like completely divorced from like anything shot in the theater or there's anything. this amazing shot of the lead firing a gun in, in a black void that the film keeps showing you like 30 times and it has an ending where i actually had to rewind and go wait is that it <laughs> Is the movie actually over? It ends really abruptly and kind of full circle. Like he's trying to bring it back to the beginning. Yeah, like very it's maybe confusing. a dream like, or something. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot. And I feel like there was a lot going on in this movie that wasn't. It seems like you could take it as maybe they were trying to go for something or some sort of commentary. But clearly like the ineptness, the ineptitude of the filmmaking doesn't really point in that direction. Like he has a few characters that are like really super misogynistic in it like the police captain in general who basically is just like leering after our heroine police lady the entire time and telling her she can't do the job and everything oh yeah the police captain is an la mainstay he stars in a lot of freddo and ray films he's a star of hollywood chainsaw hookers okay well that makes sense because he definitely has the sleaze factor down perfectly but yeah the whole time you're thinking like okay well they're setting him up like the villain and like something bad's gonna happen to him and and it kind of does but then also, our, the lead character, who's played by, um, yeah, Americana. What's what's the actress's name? I'm, like, already blank. But, yeah, she was Americana in Glow. And she is just, like, the worst police lady I've ever seen. Like, they, like you think they're going to set her up as this, like, badass martial arts lady? Because she has, like, a few fight scenes and everything. And she really, like, dispatches of, of uh, yeah, suspects. Yeah, she does really. the wrestling, like, double kick where you, like, jump in the air and you kick with both your legs and land on your side. She does, right? But then once she's investigating this thing, she doesn't really do anything except No, she's for... just in the, I guess, the um, flurry of participating in a big show. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And it's like, and then she makes a decision, which I, I guess I won't spoil, but, like, the only thing she does is, like, totally counterintuitive to, like, what she should be investigating. And I don't know. By the end, I feel like she doesn't even really get a moment to, like, take down the killer or anything. No. You, know, like, she, you not- see her kick butt throughout the film. And then when the killer is revealed, she's like, ah, and she, like, runs away. So, like, I'm thinking you cast all these ladies from Glow. You try to, like... You put in this really vile police captain who's clearly some sort of comment on, like, misogyny in the police force or something. But then you don't even give your lead, like, any chance to shine, you know? I feel like there's more uh, – There's more. my partner made a good comment we were watching together. There's more dialogue from men about her character than she actually has herself. <laughs> That's true. Uh, all right. And Verboten also had a second release. Holy moly. Did you watch that one, Mark? I did watch it. I popped this one in, too, because, you know, I'm just I love this kind of like obscure SOV stuff. And this is real obscure SOV stuff. And the history of this movie is actually kind of uh, interesting. I mean, if you can even call it a movie, it runs 40 minutes. So it's like a short film. And most of that footage is like. <laughs> the lead actor who who made it so basically it's like written directed starred by a guy named lance ozanix who i guess if you're in the threat if you're like a thrash metal fan you might know is the um lead singer and songwriter from a band called schizo which i i'm not a thrash metal guy so i don't really know this is all just off wikipedia but uh 
so he was that band that was famous for their like on stage like really like gothic gross on stage theatrics like ozzy osbourne-esque type stuff but their signature thing and from the from this lance ozanix guy is that he would vomit at the end of every band's performance onto the <laughs> audience and apparently this was his like thing he could regurgitate his food and propel it 19 feet this is what it says on like wikipedia here so you know it's true and does he do it in the movie oh he does it several times in the movie and just as an aside note he did this so apparently he was this guy was even on an episode of judge judy sometime after this and he was getting sued by some woman who he vomited on at a show who wasn't aware of it and he had to pay and he had to pay damages to this lady on judge judy (laughs) so yeah so this is his thing and yeah he vomits he regurgitates and vomits a ton in this movie so he plays a priest who basically spends the first like 15 minutes of this wandering around some some you know california suburb just like saying hi to people and then he does like he does like an impromptu church service with like two people in the audience and then he somehow runs into the dead the devil who's just walking around the streets of la and the devil tells him he's going to um, he's going to have to kill people. And the guy's like, no, I'm not. The priest is like, no, I definitely can't kill people. And the devil's just like, yeah, well, that's just what's going to happen. So sorry. And then, yeah, basically the rest of the movie is him like agonizing about this. And then every once in a while, he's like, oh, he gets the urge to kill. And he like gruesomely kills somebody. <laughs> and the effects in this are the effect. That's it. Yeah. The effects in this are legendary. It ends with a showdown between him and the devil where um and a super super gory like final kill which is like it's just hilarious because it's all like really shoddy practical practical effects and like so much goopy blood and everything it's it's really really great uh but yeah there's essentially no plot to this it seems like it was the kind of video that was like put together for the band you know to like kind of sell like at their shows yeah yeah, like the band's theatrics like on screen now you know so I, i think it's that kind of thing but you know what for connoisseurs of like the really obscure weird stuff like obviously this the quality it's been mastered off like an old svhs the sound is like super muddled you can barely hear anything it's like the kind of experience that i like crave so if you're into that i i would definitely recommend that but do we recommend slash slash dance Uh, i i I don't know if i can recommend slash dance unless like the people really know what they're getting into yeah i would i would have to agree i mean i I love that these. I love that it's put out now. I love and I love that it is. It is that kind of movie that I would blind buy just based on the title and the cover art alone, which I totally did. Um, but it is like you got to be prepared for that letdown that it's really not going to give you. I mean, Holy Moly sounds much. like a blast though. You know, Forty Holy, minutes. Honestly, I would recommend Holy Moly maybe more just because of the, like the cracked kind of like lunatic. It is really the product of like one cracked mind, more of like you know a Neil Breen type experience or something, but done in the early '90s. Whereas Slash Dance is definitely like a filmmaker trying to make like a mainstream horror film, but not really having anything at his disposal except for like Mm. a location maybe. Well, I look forward to the next stuff that Verboten Video puts out. Yeah, it's super cool that we're getting their stuff now, though, and I'm glad to have it on our shelves. It's it's really it's really cool stuff. I just love, like we always talk about, I just love these small companies that put out stuff that nobody else would and really give it give it like the collector's edition treatment. Like there's not a ton of special features on either of these, but they do have commentaries from the filmmakers. And I mean, even that is just like enough is like more than you would expect to ever get from Mm -hmm. movies like this. So moving on to the classic section, we have Criterion putting out town bloody hall, which is Norman Mailer and a panel of feminists debate the issues of women's liberation. Now I'm surprised Criterion put this out on its own Blu-ray because this was part of a Norman Mailer box set was the other films that he directed, wasn't it? Was it really? I think it was, yeah. Like a DVD set. Oh, was it on, like on, was it on yeah, the, Eclipse the Eclipse set? Yeah, the set. I think you, yeah, you might be right. Interesting. You know what? I didn't actually catch that. Um, yeah, that's a bizarre one because I don't, this would be the first time that ever happened um, because usually they just kind of put those Eclipse sets out and forget about them. Uh, but you know what? I'm like looking, maybe not, but edition. like I've read about this somewhere. So that's why I'm like, what, would they Criterion put it out? Yeah, because it has the Norman Mailer film where Stacey Keach gets attacked. No, Rip Torn out of nowhere. And then like, Rip Torn gets into a real fight right. on screen in Maidstone. <laughs> nice. Right, Maidstone. 
Yeah, so this is, uh, yeah, the documentary about, yeah, Norman Mailer and his legendary fight against oh, feminism, God. basically. Um, which is like, yeah, Norman Mailer. I don't know, you know, I can't say I ha- I'm kind of a... I'm kind of a lay person when it comes to Norman Mailer. I clearly have, I haven't read any of his stuff. I only just kind oh, of know. You've about seen him tough guys I, can't dance, right? You know what? I did not see that. I missed your, I missed the screening. Well, you missed our screening when we showed it on 35 millimeter. No, I know. I was so upset about it too. Cause I'd always wanted to see it and I, I got to check it out. We have it on DVD here at the store, but like, I definitely wanted that theatrical experience and I missed oh, it. It has a great wings Hauser performance too. Right, right. So, uh, have you been selling a lot of these? This seems like a very odd. I mean, it is a de- directed by D. A. Pennebaker, no, I mean, who's a big name. But like, I don't want to watch Norman yeah. Mailer and Chris yeah. and Chris Hedges too. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like it's definitely one of their more niche releases, which I like. You know, they I like when they put out documentaries and stuff like this. I think the yeah, the subject matter. It's not one that's flying off the shelf by any means. Um, so I don't know, in a month where they had the Agnes Varda set out, something like that, I feel like they're you sometimes get smaller months from them when they have like a big, big box mm, set out like okay. that. So we also have Kino putting out Carol Lombard collection, uh, volume one, which includes Fast and Loose, Man of the World, and No Man of Her Own. Okay. Yeah, lots of man in those titles. <laughs> yeah, you like Carol Lombard? Check it out. I mean, if you like Carol Lombard, you should also check out The Eagle and the Hawk, another Carol Lombard film that is being released this week by Kino. Yeah, but not in the collection. But okay. Um, I don't know what Kino's reasoning with these. Co- they're putting a bunch of these collections out now of just like three films, as we've talked about already. But then they'll also put single editions out of other ones with these actors. So we also who knows? have Backlash, a 1956 Western directed by John Sturges, starring Richard Widmark, who I really like. And yeah, about Apache hostilities. I've never seen it. I could read you the synopses, but you'll probably forget it by the time I finish that sentence. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of World War II films being released by Kino this week. We Ugh. do. Your favorite, your favorite genre. We have Wake <laughs> Island, a John Farrow film, which has been described as wartime propaganda. Yeah, that sounds about right. We also have Red Ball Express, Raid on Romel, which are directed by Bud Bedecker and Henry Hathaway, respectively. Two good directors, and supposedly these are not very good movies. Yeah, I think it's kind of their lesser work that he knows, uh, picked up. And here. we have Soldier Blue, which is a title I always see. This is a revisionist western directed by Ralph Nelson that I hear is still kind of problematic these days. Yeah, it has that look. I've never seen it. I've always been interested. It definitely has a fan base, but yeah, it seems like it's borderline in terms of its obvious representation. And speaking of problematic, we have Cry Freedom, a Richard Attenborough <laughs> film yep. uh, starring Denzel Washington and Kevin Klein about apartheid in South Africa. <laughs> From a white man's perspective. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Of course, right? Because, you know, is it Denzel Washington's character who is a real activist, Steve Steve Biko, I believe, uh, is like it's already like after he's dead. So I think, you know, I've never seen this film, but it's one that is just like always been around, I feel. But this definitely is one of those movies that is like the 80s. You know, it's driving Miss Daisy, although, you know, Green Book won the Best Picture Award a couple years ago. So maybe, I mean, yeah, it's just a movie. Speaking of, this time, of driving Miss Daisy, the next movie, Tender Mercies, was directed by Bruce Beresford, the director of Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> Wow, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even is set Kino, that up like, uh, intentionally. I want to know, know what their, like, thought process is. Because they're obviously picking, like, we want to release three war films this week. Or, like, uh, or like three westerns. Because we know if someone will come to buy one, they'll buy all yeah, of them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it does just come down to, like, rights things. Because I know with these war films, uh, a lot of them were on a previous, just, like, universal DVD box set of war movies. So I'm guessing Kino just, like gets that whole box set and is like, okay, we got all these films, we got all these rights at the same time, let's just put them all out together, something like that. I don't know. I mean, a lot of these come from the Universal catalog that they uh, announced that they picked up. Like, Cry Freedom has just been, like, waiting for a Blu-ray for years. I mean, it's still, like, a popular, it's, like, a best-selling movie, so people still like it. It is, yeah. It's one that no one has ever said, like, you should watch this. It's never on any lists either. I just know about it because it was, like, you know, one of Denzel Washington. It might have been Denzel Washington's first Academy Award nomination or something like that. I feel like that's why I always hear about it. But, like, yeah, I feel like the time for these kind of movies is past. But, I mean, to a certain generation, this was, like, a big, big deal. And, yeah, Tender Mercies, 
I don't know. It's it like I've never seen it either. Reading the plot, I'm like, oh, this is just like Crazy Heart before Crazy Heart. We also I guess. have Old Boyfriends being released by Kino, the 1979 films directed by uh, Joanne Tewksbury and star- uh, starring Talia Shire, which I hear is not so hot, but it has its fans. I'm intrigued though, you know. I, like I know it was Joan Tewksbury's, you know, it was her big directorial debut after um, writing Nashville and Thieves Like Us, and you know, working with Robert Altman. And I think it premiered at Cannes that year. Like I, I feel like it was supposed to be kind of a bigger deal. Than it was and i i guess she never really directed much again other than tv i saw somebody describe it as like taxi driver if the uh robert de niro character just sat in the car the entire time feeling sorry for himself you know what you're selling me on it though like that actually makes it sound pretty good to me i mean like what a cast (laughs) oh man if it ends it's like talia shire going around like blowing pimps away (laughs) (laughs) yeah right but yeah like what a cast on this i'm just intrigued because i had honestly never even heard of this film before kino picked it up um and just the cast alone and also uh we forgot to mention this was written by the schrader brothers was it? actually mm. speaking it was of taxi written, driver written, yeah, by both paul and leonard yeah exactly so there you go with the there's the taxi driver vibes but like i don't know i'm intrigued to check this out i haven't gotten around to it yet but it's this is an interesting one that i think kino's kind of unearth the rights to. We also have Shanghai Triad being released by Film Movement. This is a Zhang Yimou film starring Gong Li from that period where they were making films together every which way. And I don't think it ever got like a proper Blu-ray release, so people are excited because it's all remastered and stuff like that. Yeah, it was one of the early films on DVD, so it was just ever available that way. But uh, yeah, Film Movement obviously does a great job on their restoration. And (laughs) I mean, Zhang Yimou, I believe he has two films that still remain unreleased because the Chinese censors won't let them be put out. Yeah, it's tough with him. <laughs> I mean, tough to be a filmmaker in China tough right to, now. Yeah, no, no, not tough with him. Because like if him, Zhang Yimou yeah. can't get his films put out, nobody can. Mm-hmm. We also have Five Corners. Um, have you seen this movie? Because it seems right have. up your alley. I've always been interested in this, um, even though, yeah, like I never... Yeah, I was just reading about it again, and I was because like I always forget what this one's actually about. I guess because it just has kind of a generic title, Five Corners. But and it's directed by Tony Bill, who I've never really cared for. He's just kind of directed Hollywood stuff. Yeah, Tony Bill. I, what is he? I bring him up. The first thing that comes up is Flyboys with James Franco. Yeah, <laughs> Wait, classic, Fly classic film. He did. He did. Yeah, Tony. I'm just like he directed My Bodyguard. I don't know. That's like the biggest film I can see on. People really like that. But in recent years, he just kind of went into TV. But this seems really interesting. I mean, it's got a young Cho- young Jodie Foster, John Turturro, and I think John Turturro is like a crazy guy who gets out of prison for attempted rape because he was trying he attempted to rape jodie foster's character and then he goes like right back to find her and the guy who saved her from him and i don't know what happens after that but i mean interesting setup uh (laughs) i'm intrigued to see how that plays out i think it was also written by john patrick shanley who's a pretty famous screenwriter he would go on to write um well i know he made joe versus the volcano and doubt and then he wrote a bunch of other bigger hollywood films well sounds interesting i hear that uh, john deturo beats a penguin to death at one point cool that sounds i know you hate penguins so (laughs) i do yeah they should all be exterminated (laughs) no i'm kidding i love penguins. they're so cute yeah and they're i'm sure they're like monsters like hippos just like murder machines they totally are yeah (laughs) yeah it sounds like it's an offbeat premise like you were about to say yeah it seems like it has like a wacky i don't know the way they're they were selling it i was like looking at the original poster it definitely seems to have that like martin scorsese after hours kind of like gritty but like surreal sort of i might be totally off base here if anybody's seen five corners feel free to let us know so in the new section we have the terror season two which uh people love the terror season one i didn't see it and then they did a season two nobody cared <laughs> heard nothing no, about me it. either yeah the season one i feel like was one of the biggest shows in whatever year it came out and i always kind of meant to get on it because i had that like horror sort of thing going but never did never did <laughs> and now we're season two i'm too late it's too late yeah. but it doesn't matter it's, it's like an anthology thing it's not a continuation of the story Batwoman season one is also out. People uh, really like Batwoman. And it's notable because the main actor uh, quit the show for reasons that were undisclosed. And she was replaced with an uh, African-American actor. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ruby Rose was Batwoman on season one. And they're like, you know, the press release says, like, I don't like filming in Vancouver, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what? what's the mm. real reason? 
It's a thing. I'm, I'm interested. What's the behind the scenes dirt here? Oh, sorry. We skipped one. Clara's Heart, which is being released by Warner Archives, a classic film. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Let's move. Yeah, definitely a classic film right here. I, <laughs> I'm shocked we missed this one. Directed by Robert Mulligan, the guy who gave us uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Stars Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, Michael Oatkian from Twin Peaks and Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, and Spalding Gray. Talk about movies that, uh, you know, were made in the 80s. This is what Whoopi Goldberg is a Jamaican nurse who comes to care for like a rich white Baltimore family's son played oh, by Neil God. Patrick Harris and they like bond. Yeah, that's literally what this movie's about. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. I don't think we've sold a single copy yet so please we have to go to the important stuff like deathstroke knights and dragons <laughs> another dc animated film okay i have no idea what it, these are <laughs> i know what it is but i'm not gonna watch it we also have narcos mexico season one which is the netflix series right yeah so they did three seasons of the original narcos which is was obviously insanely popular uh, and now there's a spinoff series, Narcos Mexico, which has uh, Diego Luna and Michael Pena in it. So, I mean, I like them a lot. But you're still not going to watch the show, will you? No, I, I haven't seen a single episode of Narcos, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's fun. But you are a dedicated Blue Bloods watcher and season oh, 10 obviously. has just come out. I mean, where am I going to get my Donnie Wahlberg content <laughs> Is Donnie days? Wahlberg on Blue Bloods? <laughs> Are you kidding me? He's like one of the stars. Wait, of isn't Blue it like Bloods. Tom Berenger or something like that? Uh, it's Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Actually. Okay. Come on. Yeah. Mustache. Wait, who's the guy who sells you reverse mortgages? Isn't it Tom Selleck? Uh, the like famous, he does infomercials <laughs> about that. Right. Is that him? That might be him. I think it seems like it's something he would do. Well, Blue Bloods is a show that's for grandpas and older dads. So oh my God. I can't, again, I can't believe this has been on for 10 seasons. Already. It is never going to go away. <laughs> And I'm sure the new season will be like, cops are good. The protesters are wrong. That's the thing with shows like this. Do they? Do you think a show like this actually tackles no, issues No, there's like no that? way. Probably I mean, not, Brooklyn right? Nine-Nine will have to, but a show like this, it's not going to touch it. They don't care, right? Because their core audience, I don't think, is really If anything, like I said, <laughs> really they're going to go bothered. against the protesters. Exactly. Even though I'm sure the show is filled with corrupt cops, and that's what the show's about, so... Yeah, I'm sure that factors into it. I'm sure there's just like no sort of like cognizant thought about how it relates to real world issues. We also have The Outpost, another film called The Outpost. There are a million Outpost movies. There are. But you know what? I've heard this is pretty good. I haven't seen really? this, but this actually got Scott pretty Eastwood solid stars reviews. In it. <laughs> Directed by the Look, guy who did The up. Last Castle. I know. When I first ordered this, this was like, because this was a movie that I think was supposed to come out theatrically and then just kind of went VOD because of the coronavirus thing. And I think that, you know, when, when I was ordering it, I see Scott Eastwood, Orlando Bloom is in this. Uh, I think Caleb Landry Jones is in this as well. And I just looked at that cast and I saw like VVS was putting it. I'm like, ah, this is just some VOD shit right here. But you know what? This apparently is supposed to be really, really good. It got really solid reviews. It's like... Um, apparently a pretty like muscular like hurt locker did type. you get some some money from the outpost producers mark because that would happen <laughs> i am getting paid a lot of money by the outpost producers so. <laughs> i want i want in on some of this i'll also be like oh yeah the movie yeah. is good okay <laughs> Phew. um but this is directed by rod lurie who i've actually kind of liked in the past he used to be a film critic like way back in the day and then became a director because yeah he directed wait the last... that you kind of liked i'm looking at the movies the straw dogs remake is one that he made uh, i didn't I, I never saw it but i like the contender yeah i like the contender you weren't into that uh, deterrent it was another one where kevin's Paul... like a presidential candidate or is like he's stuck in a diner or something that's like what that. it I don't is know. he's he... stuck in a diner that's and like bombs is, right? are gonna fall yeah. or something like that yes he made a movie called Nothing But The Truth with Kate Beckinsale that I thought was entertaining. I don't know. He seems to make, like, really solidly re reliable, like, fact-based thrillers. I mean, not counting Straw Dogs. Although I, I have heard from some people that Straw Dogs is actually a lot more fun than you would think it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need for my Straw Dogs film. Fun! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he made Resurrecting the Champ as well. Oh, did he really? <laughs> Samuel Jackson, Josh Hartnett, Terry Hatcher. Yeah, that's a movie we have at the store for sure, but never... I think MVD put that out recently on Blu-ray and nobody touched that one. Well, you get back to me after you watch The Outpost, Mark. I look forward for your criticism. I will, I will. But, you know, I, I heard it's gotten really solid reviews. I don't know. I mean, I, it's a war movie Look, I'm looking at it It's got a 71 Metascore That's pretty solid Right <laughs> You keep saying that I don't believe I know, you I know you're, You have a thing Against Metacritic 
I mean, Scott Eastwood doesn't bode. Scott Eastwood and Orlando Bloom do not bode well. But, you know, you never know. You never did know. you see Deerskin, the new film from the director of Wrong, which is also coming this week? I did. I saw that at TIFF last year, and I quite enjoyed it, actually. This, eh, I hear it's a one-note joke over and over again. I mean, that's kind of all of his movies, though, right? Yeah, I don't like his movies. Fair enough. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of go back and forth on Quentin Depew. I didn't really like i think the first one of his i saw was rubber and i didn't really like it because that to me just felt like a one joke movie that just like didn't go anywhere um but i liked wrong a little more i liked wrong cops a little more just kind of the absurdity um this one i yeah i caught it tiff and honestly this might be my favorite of his films and i it totally is a one joke movie it's basically just about uh jean dujardin's character who, who buys this really like fancy deerskin jacket and is obsessed with it and starts to kill off anybody else who has a jacket so he can be the only person wearing a jacket it's a typical like quentin Depew plot but I think what really makes this one better is Jean Dujardin. I don't think he's worked with an actor who's like actually like a bigger actor before this. Mm, well, he worked with Wings Hauser and uh, Rubber. He did work with. Sorry, he did. He worked. He worked with Marilyn Manson too in Wrong Cops. So I mean, he did. It's funny. It's funny. But uh, this one, Jean Dujardin is like great in this. I've never been like a crazy fan of him or anything, but he is so funny in this. He just plays it so straight. Well, you need to check out the Lucky Luke movie, uh, Mark, which I don't believe got a North American release. It's a live action Lucky Luke movie. Oh, OK, OK. I just don't know. I know he's obviously a megastar in France. He makes tons of movies in France, but I just haven't really gone down that road. I haven't really seen the OSS movies or any of like the bigger ones he's done that have crossed over. But I thought he was really funny in this. And I thought this movie was just really funny. So we also have Beyond the Visible, Hilma F. Clint, which is a documentary about the visual arts. <laughs> well, Hilma F. Clint was apparently she was a Swedish artist and mystic, apparently who uh, apparently is considered one of the... I'm saying apparently a lot here, but uh, I know, apparently, yeah, all of this is apparent, all right? She doesn't really exist. But um, yeah, she was a pioneer of Western abstract art, and her art is actually really cool. I've seen her art before, and it's uh, it's awesome, yeah. So, um, and it's just, like, yeah, a typical... I've heard really good things about this. I'm sure it's kind of like a typical uh, art doc that you would get from Kino who's putting it out. But if you are a fan of her, this is kind of, you know, a definitive look into her life. Kino has more documentaries like Sonia, the White Swan, the true story of Sonia Henny, one of the world's greatest athletes and the inventor of modern figure skates. You know what? This is actually not a documentary. It's not? Though. This is. This is a docudrama. Oh, no, so worse. it's a Norwegian film. <laughs> Well, you know what, though? Like, this is actually, I kind of, I'm more intrigued by this uh, because it's the director of a, so it's a Norwegian director named Anne Suwitsky, whose last film uh, I saw TIFF years ago called Homesick. And it's, uh, it's a story about incest, but, you know, it's really well done. It's like sensitively told. This it's like, uh, skate uh, one is about <laughs> incest? Yes, please. No, no, no. This, one, this one's about Sonia Henny, who's obviously probably one of the most famous figure skaters of all time. She went into Hollywood in the 30s and became like a big movie star too i think her career kind of ended in alcohol and you know as as it sometimes happens um but this is actually yeah so it's basically after this film headstrong that ann Sawitsky made she got this big production it's a big norwegian production it's the same actress that she had in headstrong and i don't know i'm intrigued i really like the earlier film she makes made i would definitely like to see what she does with like a bigger scale project yeah what happens when she sells you know, out it's in norwegian though it's still it's not a hollywood movie yeah that's true <laughs> uh, you can still sell out in norwegian you can sell out anywhere mark uh on that note, me and Mark would love to sell out. So uh, please contact us uh, on the Facebook page. Anywhere. I'll sell, I'll sell out anywhere. Anywhere in the world. So, so we also have the Kalini case about a young lawyer who stumbles upon a vast conspiracy while investigating a brutal murder case. Yeah, this is your typical kind of like Euro legal murder thriller. Uh, seems cool. Uh, not to be confused with the other movie coming out this yeah, week as well the called The Lawyer. <laughs> Which is not a Euro legal. This is a uh, LGBTQ title that i can't even remember where it's from argentina i believe yeah this is a lithuanian film uh lgbt film um about a gay corporate lawyer who you know it's figured when his father dies he mourns his father you know it's a drama it's a mid midlife crisis drama from lithuania it seems like <laughs> can we just like get every producer director and writer in the world and just like you got to stop calling your movies these generic titles you're killing know, us right? here like, man please come you're calling it the lawyer that's that's the best you got i'd rather watch the lincoln lawyer yeah. thank you very much the classic matthew mcgonaghy film you love that director, the guy who made Runaway Jerry, I do, right? I do. Uh, no, that's not the same guy. I mean, same same kind of vibe. Uh, 
No, the that's the guy who made ah, what's his name? Brad Furman is the guy who made the Lincoln Lawyer. He did because he also did a really excellent John Leguizamo movie called The Take, which I highly recommend if you have not seen. to be confused with a bad John Leguizamo movie, Empire, which we talked about on this podcast. Yes, which we talked about and was not very good. What's with all these generic titles though? The yeah, we're dying. Empire. So we also have yeah. Dijon Africa, which is uh, being released by Indie Picks, which is about a lovable man um, named John Africa, born and raised in Portugal. A kind-hearted Rastafarian who loves women and lives a carefree life. Until one day, a stranger tells him that he's a spitting image of his father. A player and a crook. His father, whom he never knew. Okay. Wow, you you gave a really animated plot description there. I'm impressed. Uh, Yeah, so this sounds like fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually hear good things about this. Wait, isn't Indie Um, Picks like a dumping ground, though? I don't know what in, no indie picks is like definitely a label although maybe there's some sort of like aggregator company like gravitas ventures is it could be something like that because i know a lot of their discs are like mod pressed too so uh but this one you know this was a uh film that found a claim at rotterdam so you know rotterdam's a pretty like highfalutin experimental film festival so it's got like it's got that kind of vibe if you're into that which i very much am so we also have pilgrimage aka peregrinasso which has a okay unless i looked at the wrong movie this has a crazy wait explain it to me and then i'll say if i looked at the right movie because okay yeah because i put (laughs) i put the original portuguese title this is a portuguese film Odd because there are also like hundreds of movies called Pilgrimage, uh, including one from the same uh, year. I was hoping it was going to be that one, which has a crazy cast of like Tom Holland, Richard Armitage, Joe Burnsall. As a 13th century Ireland, a group of monks must escort a sacred relic. Yeah, across- no, it's, it's not that film. We, we have that film, though. So if you want to see that film, we definitely have. It came out a few years ago. I mean, back. supposedly but- this one is not so good either. <laughs> yeah, this, so this one's a Portuguese like a. Uh, a historical drama about the 16th century explorer and writer for now mendez pinto probably mispronouncing that um as he sails the orient in the 16th century um it's from a director who has been around since like the 80s in portugal he's done like a lot of like really kind of experimental things so i'm kind of intrigued his name's joao botello um but I can't say I know much more about this film other than that. I would love to get like the funding that all these art house films in like, you know, Europe and stuff like that get. Cause like these movies can't be making money. Well, that's the thing. But, like just... the directors keep making them. I was wondering, cause I'm looking at his credit list and he's made, been making features since like going back to the early eighties. And I'm like, I guess maybe just because he's like made a bunch, he keeps making movies. Um, I guess the Portuguese film industry is kind of small. And I guess he's just got a name that has done things. And because this movie, like, I, I don't I haven't seen it yet, but it definitely seems like it has more of a budget. Like they're on a boat the whole time. Like there's a huge cast of characters. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a it's a budget because they're, on, they're a boat. on a boat. If you have a boat, then, you know, you've made it. Uh, so we also have Crush. Crushed. Crushed. Crashed. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, but also this is supposed to be very good. Is it? Because I was looking at Letterboxd and it has really bad. Like people do not like it. Yeah. Um. Again, I live and die by the Metacritic scores, man. <laughs> Who are the Metacritics? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Who watches um, the Metacritics? <laughs> yeah, right. But this looks like an American pie for um, for teen girls, basically. Um, directed by a first-time uh, feature director, Emily Kahn. I don't know. It looks fun. I think it played at the Toronto uh, or the TIFF Next Wave Festival, which kind of happens every year. <laughs> which you go every year. You're like, hello, fellow kids. No, I, I know, right? <laughs> My Steve Buscemi <laughs> cap on. <laughs> yeah. Backwards baseball cap, skateboard over your shoulder. But I've covered films for them in the past, and they actually always have a lot of interesting stuff playing. I have, yeah. No, I've reviewed films for them. Um, <laughs> you I've, have? It has been, yeah. So I'm writing. So it has been like a hello, teens, fellow basically. kids thing. Because teens should listen to my opinion on film. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because you'll sell out. We've already established that we will sell out for anything. Uh, other films that are being released inside the rain, facing expulsion from college over a misunderstanding, a bipolar student indulges his misery at a strip club where befriends a gorgeous, intelligent. Out- oh this boy, looks this is one that is yeah. also directed and stars the same guy who's done nothing. Well, that's what's else. hilarious to me. Yeah, he plays the director and star. This guy named Aaron Fisher plays the lead character. Uh, yeah, what a university student who you know finds solace, teams up with a 
you know a feisty stripper to get him back into school it's like it's like he's trying to, <laughs> a manic pixie yeah dream it's like girl. he's trying to like do that girl next door type thing but like it's just all himself i actually really like me the girl too, next me door too, actually no I, i'm a big fan of that this seems like more of like a self-congratulatory i don't know it just seems like and you look him up he hasn't really done anything else it's just like seems like such a vanity project to some degree even though he's oh, not yeah, like definitely. a star or anything but it also does star Rosie Perez and Eric Roberts. So, I mean. <laughs> and Eric Roberts. You know the quality is is going to be there. We also have Prevenge, a movie that came out in 2016 and is finally making its way to Blu-ray. Yeah, this has just lived on Shudder for like the last four years. So here it is, finally. I know people really like this. Yep, I know. Never saw it. Heard it wasn't so hot. Yeah, I heard it was kind of fun from people. Straight out of, um, what is it? Oh, Baby Blood is the name of the movie. Um, right the one yeah. where it's like the the baby inside of the mother it's telling her to kill people and feed it blood we also have cursed film which is a series from shutter that i hear it's very problematic that it shows you like the uh death from the twilight zone movie oh really yeah i knew this was about basically it is what the title says it is it's just about all like the cursed productions that you hear about from like poltergeist the exorcist, the exorcist and, yeah. um Amityville Horror, maybe? I don't know. Is yeah, Amityville Horror is talked about as a curse series. That has to be in there, right? I, I didn't realize, yeah, it was that problematic or anything. Um, I'm intrigued, but yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued, but no. <laughs> yeah. You got to make time to see the other film that has been released by Vertical this week, Ghosts of War, which is a World War II uh, American soldiers encounter a supernatural enemy as the occupy French castle. <sighs> But it's directed by the guy who made the butterfly effect. Yeah, that's big news here. So, so it's co. It's he was the co-director, co-writer of the butterfly effect. I don't know what happened to the other guy, but uh, <laughs> this is his law. I know, right? Well, they actually created that show Kyle X Y together, which I've never seen. But I oh, know that was a long time ago, wasn't that? Yeah, like the mid-2000s? This, yeah, this is the first thing that this guy Eric Bress has directed since the butterfly effect. Um, a film that was very important to me as a fifteen, as a moody fifteen-year-old. It was like my favorite movie. Was it? It, it, it was. <laughs> were, you, were you not a Butterfly Effect uh, fan? Nobody can see what I'm doing, but I'm miming the pullout shot from Ashton Kutcher's oh, face God. Yeah, to reveal know, that he's right? a paraplegic. I know. Which really like shocked me to the core when Did I was it? a teenager. I, when I saw it, I was like, "Ugh, terrible CGI." Just, I, really? Well, you're more enlightened than I was. When I saw it, I was like, "This is it, man. This is the shit. This is like cinema right here." I remember they have a very uh, funny, like pretentious audio commentary on the DVD. Oh, do they? I don't. I have that. DVD. Yeah, they're I have like that DVD, spot but... red. Uh, we put red oh, in the God. frame when yeah, something bad's gonna happen. They seem like those kind of guys. Well, that that definitely sets us up for Ghosts of War because I did watch this because you know I, I know you. <laughs> and also billy zane is has a supporting role in this so I mean, he does he does not he's not in it much but uh this is a hilariously ridiculous movie so it's hard to talk about it too much without spoiling it but there is a huge twist in this and it basically it's one of those twists that like renders like the entire movie kind of useless so <laughs> basically the setup is it's you you want to spoil it don't you no one's gonna watch this spoil it for us but i will just say okay spoil i'm not gonna s spoil what it is but spoiler alert if you really don't want to know but i will compare it to another film's twist ending from recently if you're a fan of serenity the matthew mcconaughey <laughs> oh has that exact same twist you might you might get off on this movie <laughs> oh oh my god but serenity is funnier ghost of war is definitely more of a dour affair than serenity it's basically because for most of it it's just like a haunted so it's a haunted house movie that takes place in world war ii it's these soldiers who are in in germany or in nazi occupied france i think in 1944 they have to like guard this mansion which was used for like nazi occult rituals and obviously you know haunted stuff happens i have an important question does the twist happen like right at the uh, end not necessarily actually it's more of like uh there's still like a good 20 minutes to go i think when the twist happens because then it twists it into there's actually like two kind of twists in this and they're both equally ridiculous it's one of those movies that like clearly this guy just had this like twist idea in his head and the whole movie is just in service of this twist but the the twist is so illogical and frankly kind of offensive too without spoiling it um the second part of the twist uh that i just like 
I don't know what anybody was really thinking, but you know what? There's like a there's definite production value to this movie. Like they had a budget making this, which was surprising to me for a movie that like has Billy Zane in it. But like I would say this is probably the most like highest budgeted thing he's been in recently. And then there's some young faces like Brenton Thwaites is in this, who is a hot young actor, I guess. Theo Rossi, you know, <laughs> that's how Mark talks. A hot young actor. <laughs> I talk, you know. It's hot, you know. He's in your teen beats, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, his IMDb score is off the charts. I know, right? But seriously, if you... I, I hesitate to recommend this movie because it's not good. Like, it's absolute it's absolute garbage. But if you're willing to, like, kind of slog... And it's also really self-serious for a lot of it. Like, they're trying to do this thing about, like like the literal like the ghosts of their like the people they've killed and everything are coming back to haunt it's like this whole dealing with grief and trauma but all that is thrown out the window for like the last 20 minutes kind of which take this ridiculous turn which you'll probably see coming i would say maybe like halfway through the movie you'll you'll definitely notice something's wrong kind of like how with serenity like i i clearly kind of like guessed where the twist was going pretty early on but um if you're willing if you just want something that completely pulls the rug out from under you in the last 20 minutes in the most ridiculous way how about it you know it's definitely a movie from the guy who made the butterfly effect i'll say that (laughs) i mean i'm only a fan of the director's cut of the butterfly effect where ashlyn kutcher's fetus strangles itself in the womb you know what when i watched i was really excited to watch that as a kid when i got the dvd and everything but i actually kind of prefer the theatrical version yeah of course i I don't want him to strangle himself in the womb. yeah you know because i agree i thought saw that and i thought at the time i was like that's bad cgi and also it's just like it doesn't need to go that over the top at that point. No, yeah. I mean, that's such a dumb twist. Think, so. Yeah, it's already achieved what it needs to achieve. Like, doing that last thing really doesn't add anything to it. Speaking of twist, I'm sure the last movie on this list, A Dog's Courage, a.k.a. The Underdog, is uh, right up there, right? Yeah, is this is... <laughs> I had to save this one for last. I don't know. <laughs> did you read much about this? Uh, I know it's a South Korean production, uh, it's an animated film, but it's CG with like cell shading it over is. it. So you know what? The animation is actually kind of intriguing in this. Oh, like, man, I would say yeah. It if, looks you, if it was okay. 2005, I know, I know. Like, but, you know, I kind of like animation that looks sort of imperfect. It does have that kind of like DTV animated movie look from 2005. But you know what? I can roll with that. I can roll with that. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed to see that it doesn't have like really lame C-list stars doing the English dubbing. No, yeah. So I did watch this and I just watched it in the <laughs> Korean. Oh, yeah. Because this has got a weird plot, man. So basically it takes place. It's a bit, it's kind of like a Homeward Bound-esque type thing where this dog is dropped off by his owner because they don't want it anymore in like the northern part of South Korea. And basically the dog, he joins up with another pack of dogs and they all talk and everything. They're all, you know, you've got like the funny, cute dog and like the the gruffer dog and the angry dog. You got all these dogs. And they're all being hunted by like, you know, you know, basically uh, what are the I'm blanking? What are the guys that go and like try and capture stray dogs, a dog catcher, dog nappers, dog dog catchers. Um, so they're being chased around. So basically they eventually slip under the fence into North Korea and they basically start up. kind of a relationship with these dogs on the North Korean side. And the whole thing turns into this like sort of parable about like fascism and like the North Korea. And like, basically it's like, it seems like it's an attempt to teach South Korean kids about sort of the situation in North Korea while not explicitly going into it. Like there's not really, they don't talk about what's actually going on in North Korea. You just see like- How can that make any sense to kids watching this in English? I know, I don't know. That's the thing. So like- I watched it in the Korean language and I mean, yeah, you definitely, it's the kind of movie that if you're showing it to your kids, you definitely need to like sit down with them and have like a context sort of discussion afterwards, I would think. Um, But also just in terms of like, if you like, this would make kids cry though, too. Like if you thought Homeward Bound was sad as a kid or like any of those movies where animals are separated from their families, like this like goes overboard with that especially at the beginning like honestly it was almost bringing a tear to my mind this to my eye like this dog just gets dropped off and, and <laughs> a tear to your mind are you just a brain floating in a jar like tammy yeah, and the t-rex that, that's what it turned that's what this movie turned me into <laughs> so you would recommend this film it's not just like bad it's just no i would i was going into it expect i was just kind of like hooked by the fact that it was like south korea south korean and kind of commenting on north korea for a kid's movie i was just like hooked 
hooked by that. And I was kind of expecting it to be bad, but it's definitely not bad. I wouldn't say it's like that distinctive. Like it definitely has like the hallmarks of any kind of generic kids animated movie, except for just like the ideas that are sort of there, but are sort of subtly being put out there. And it ends like in this crazy sequence. And I don't even know what the final point is really just kind of like these dogs are just trying to like find a space in Korea, whether that's North Korea or South Korea, where they can just live in peace. And they kind of just like make it this larger allegory about the state of like human freedom, I guess. So I don't know. I'm, I would say, like, in terms of the, like, compared to a lot of animated movies that are dumped into, like, that are made by, you know, big Hollywood studios and are dumped on kids these days, which have, like, zero sort of, like, um, intellectual, social commentary or content in them at all. I would say, you know what, there's worse things you can show your kids to, like, kind of give them some sort of like lesson about something. I wish the title wasn't as generic as a dog's courage. It is. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know what the original title was in Korea. I think like, the underdog. It, is that what the direct translation is? Yeah. I feel yeah, like that's probably okay. what it was. Yeah. I mean, I guess it does have a lot to do with the, the dog's courage, so. <laughs> but, but it does make it seem like you first think it's just another one in those series of like a dog's journey movies or like those real life. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, if you want something, it's it's definitely a kid's movie, though. So, I mean, keep that All in right. mind. All right. Well, I'll have to check it out then. Sounds depressing. You know, it is depressing. Be ready to have a tear come to your mind, too. Okay. <laughs> to my mind. I'm not a brain in a jar like you are. Aren't we all just brains in jars? <laughs> yeah, we are. It's um, we are, We're all in a simulation. <laughs> so, uh, that's it for the Bay Street Video Podcast this week. Any updates? News, Mark, that you want to have before well, I, we leave? I'm not there this, this week, so how would Everything's I know? Everything's on fire at Bay Street Video when Mark left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the store's not there anymore. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So that's it for this week. My name's Justin DeGlue. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. And keep on renting. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.